through the years, I had to overcome many obstacles in dance. Some dancers not comfortable working with me in class. This is a small example. You know, like when they pair off, you get some that are more comfortable and some are not. So I just learned to try to find the ones that were. Then there's teachers that either didn't know how to work with me and they didn't know how, and some really tried, but they just couldn't. And then there's others who, ballet, this is the only movement I see and you don't fit that. Welcome back to another edition of How I Create Me, where we passionately celebrate remarkable humans on their quest to thrive creatively in the commercial world. I'm your host, Jessica Matthews. This community gives me both the courage to keep going and the wisdom to try something different. I hope our collective stories resonate with your own internal spark, and we're so glad you're joining us. Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify, This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks and explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. Today, we are celebrating the remarkable human, dancer and choreographer, Alex Spitzer. He chatted with me about how perseverance opened up new vistas of expression, both embodied and virtual, leading to a 30-year career on stage and in the studio. As the first dancer in a wheelchair to receive a four-year degree in dance, he shares his distinctive experiences of the body and soul connections made possible through movement and music, choreography and performance, artist and audience. Join us to hear about Alex's journey as the founding artistic director of Spitzer Dance Company at the ripe age of 20, and how sometimes our individual isolations can channel big feelings across all our spaces and maybe even multiply our lives. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you today, and I wanted to jump in to ask you about what you wish everyone understood about your profession as a dancer and a choreographer. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what fuels your why behind that. My why in dance really started, I, when I was younger, I was in choir and theater and stuff throughout middle school and high school in Texas. That's where I grew up. And so I was performing and wanting to do that. And then one day I came across an article in a magazine called Palestra Magazine about a guy in a wheelchair choreographing something, some, a dance with someone able body, a woman. And it was very interesting. And then a few weeks later, I think I heard my theater dance teacher, theater teacher at the time, John Steele was going to be teaching a dance class my last semester in high school. So I took the article to him and asked him if I could possibly maybe take his dance class and just see what we could do or what I could do, experiment with movement and see and stuff. and. So he thought about it. He took the magazine, took it for two weeks, and then eventually came back later and agreed that I could take his dance class. And I know during some of that time, um, got the thoughts about it and things to think about and other faculty asked them their opinions too. And some of them, they agreed with it. Some of them didn't agree with it. Some were like, what if he gets hurt? What if he gets injured? And what if he starts something he can't continue? But Mr. Steele came back and agreed. And so I got to move into a a dance class. And it was a fun, exciting time just 
seeing what I could physically do, adapting movement. He would um, do different like isolation movements. That's a lot of stuff that I could do at the very beginning, like your head turning left, right, or you know your shoulders up and down, your rib cage, your hips, and different things. Then sometimes doing combinations across the floor too, I would try to do some I couldn't do as quickly as the kid, other kids, but I would adapt to what I could do. And so we just, you know, went back and forth together of what to find out what we could do. That's pretty much how it started with that, you know, in high school. Yeah, that sounds like such an um, inspiring point of connection. Like, I bet that must have felt really great to be able to jump into that and form those kind of bonds with your classmates and your teachers where you're communicating together in a way that's connected. And that's so different, I think, than many people's experiences in Mm -hmm. sports, for example, right? It's a very different setup of movement, right? It is. It's very different. I mean, because like you mentioned, sports, disabled sports, I have to, I'm playing against other people in wheelchairs, which makes sense because I was playing against someone able-bodied, it's not fair. And same for anyone disabled. It's That's why a lot of times in disabled sports, they have classifications. So you're competing against someone, your own ability. So it makes it a lot more fair. But in dance, it was a little bit different because it's not, the dancing I do is not competition. It's, you know, performing and it's that, but you're, comp- you're creating to the best of your abilities of whoever you're working with. I've worked with dancers that had two bad knees, and but we still look very beautiful together because we create stuff to match her ability or his ability to what I can physically do and what we do together and not try to, I don't try to ask them to do like a 20 pirouettes in a row or, you know, or something major like that. Then I've danced with dancers who went on to dance with Paul Taylor in New York and I've done beautiful dances with them too. So you just get different variations. I love it. The human body exists on such a creative continuum, right? We all have these different elements of ability. And I, um, I've i particularly been mindful of that myself as I was in a car accident within the past 12 months. And, mm-hmm. and that changes a lot of how you think about where how your body occupies space, how it connects to other people and what it means to enjoy expression and movement and connection with people um, when how your body moves changes or is different. So uh, for those who are unfamiliar with arthrogryposis, how would you describe it and the impact that it's had on your life? There, arthrogryposis, there's actually, there's many different forms of it. And I've learned there's a lot more than I ever knew in the last couple of years. But my, what I have for my arthrogryposis, it's a muscle and joint disorder since birth. Um, Fortunately for me, there's no pain involved in it. Uh, Some of my joints are too tight or too loose. Um, Like I I can't, I guess I can't get my hand up high enough to do it, but my hands are bent at the wrist and I can, and and I can bend them, but I can't straighten out and like my knees I can only I can bend but I can't straighten my leg fully out one leg I can the other one I cannot 
that have limited use of all four limbs, uh, but is not progressive. So it will not get, for me, it won't get better or worse. And so whatever, I, unless I just don't do anything and it'll get worse that way, of course, but. Which is true for all human bodies. If we anybody. don't move, they all get worse. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> so it won't get better or worse. And I can feel everything. I can do whatever I want. If I can find a way to do it, like my dancing. And I also drive a vehicle. I have a full-size van I drive. And I've been driving since 1991. I can get in and out and drive everywhere. So whatever I can find a way to do, I can do it. So I bet that feels pretty amazing in terms of the range of expression that you can bring to the performing stage, right? This, yeah. this sense of uh, a lot of possibility that you carry carry with you. Um, can you talk about a little bit more, maybe that first connection to dance? Like you were in high school, it was new, but you, you had already been part of things where you were expressing sort of that inner soul, right? Theater and chorus, like mm -hmm. what was it particularly that drew you to, to dance as an art form and, and how that, you know, sparked a whole career that, that you have yeah. built? I think a lot of it, because I do love music and I've listened to music most of my life since probably sixth grade. And so dance and music putting together, you can tell different stories. And a lot of my earlier dances had a lot of lyrics in the songs. So it's like telling stories through the songs that are playing and choreographing movement to the songs. And so I think that was one of the early connections there for me and it's not me trying to remember lines and theater and all that, but remembering movement, I can naturally do. And not everybody can do that. I can learn something pretty quickly and go perform it. And so you just, it became natural to me. And so I learned to put a lot of expression and feeling into my movement. In some ways that magnifies my movement because I do have very limited use of my arms and legs and hands and all that. I can fling my arm up, but I can't hold it up. But in some ways, like if I'm reaching up here, I'm using the movement, you know, that, that movement, that way expression that hopefully someone usually gets it too. And I feel it within my body, maybe similar to someone that's amputee where they're, you know, they kind of feel the arm going up my arm's not actually going up, but I feel it. Yeah. And so just a, a feeling of going through movement and that first do what I did, True Colors with uh, a dancer, Kim Luke, this trying to find movement we could do in physical connection with someone else. And that was totally new to me in high yeah. school. And that's the great connection and the great thing my teacher gave me that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, tell me more about the, I imagine that it takes a lot of perseverance. It, it does, the life in general takes perseverance, but especially doing um, something that even your teachers hadn't experienced before, you know, would, there would be a lot of different, maybe obstacles or questions or uh, challenges that you encountered. Uh, so what was it, uh, what are some of the maybe ways that you saw perseverance show up and uh, even now 
you know, later looking mm -hmm. back on, on that, um, what are some of the qualities or decisions or choices maybe that you made that you're like, yeah, that, that perseverance is like kind of help what helped get me, um, through to be able to do more, um, that I wanted. They go through using, having perseverance and just being strong. I think goes back to my parents giving me that freedom when I was younger to try things and experience things and think outside the box, not say, oh, you can't do this or that, or if you can't do it one way, do it another way. So I think I take that into my dancing that way. And through the years, I had to overcome many obstacles in dance. Some dancers not comfortable working with me in class this is a small example. You know, like when they pair off, you get some that are more comfortable and some are not. And so I just learned to try to find the ones that were and hopefully work with them more. But sometimes I had to be paired off with someone that wasn't as comfortable and just to make the best of it. Then there's teachers that either didn't know how to work with me and they didn't know how and they really, some really tried, but they just couldn't. And then there's others who ballet, this is the only movement I see and you don't fit that. <laughs> and having to overcome that situation of where they see dance, you know, and different things and overcoming that. Um, Was there a particular teacher that had like a, a marked influence or, or a special moment of pivoting that you encountered as somebody who really like stepped in and, and brought a lot of life and encouragement in those hard places? Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, first, uh, giving credit to my first dance teacher, John Steele, who got me the opportunity to dance. And then during my second year at Collin County Community College in Plano, and that school is called Collin County College now. Um, Tanya Tony, she, I came into her dance class and I came on announced. She didn't know, she did not know I was coming in her class. So she got surprised her first day of what, I, what am I gonna do with someone in a wheelchair in my dance class? She's never worked with someone in a wheelchair before. But after a while, we, a couple of weeks, I we met at the library, I showed her some videos of what I could do. And, and then I told her I was involved in a, um, I got asked to do a performance for Disabled Awareness Day um, in October for my college. And so I was gonna do an afternoon performance, but then I, asked student activities, could I do a full show for, you know, use the theater? And being a new college, the theater was open more often than it would be, say, today. And so I did a show, True Colors Dance Concert. We had about 300 people in the audience and a very wonderful experience. Um, some teachers gave students extra credit to come see the show. And that helped get audience and they, and I actually got reviews of the show also. They got extra credit for writing reviews. So those teachers gave me the copies of the students too, with their permission, of course. And after that show, Tanya saw the reaction of the people and the audiences and everything. And she's like, have you ever thought about dancing professionally or in college? And I think that was a, the, the big turning point for me there of wanting to pursue it. 
And because she said I had the heart of a dancer and the feeling, you know, I put all the feeling and heart into it. So five, five months later, I created Spitzer Dance Company and started doing rehearsals. And over the next two years, I did five concerts. I presented five concerts. So it was, you know, I was 20 years old when I started that. And so that's pretty much my turning point and took me a while to find some schools to go to from that point. So. And that's an impressive and prolific body of work for, <laughs> for a dancer. And yeah. I am um, so, um, so happy to hear about people in the world like that who are, are willing to encounter us and push all of us further into new things and say, why not? Let's do this. This looks amazing. We should experience something new. Um, yeah. That's really inspiring to hear. And I so appreciate hearing that story. Uh, you've shared uh, previously in some of our conversations how you've always taken care to present yourself without the additional labels, right? That just a dancer and that's mm -hmm. it. But in our society, there's a lot of different descriptions that uh, are used for your profession, like mixed ability or physically integrated. And yes. it's it's a lot to try to parse, you know, how we use our words um, to support each other. Can you share like sort of how you went through that process, especially when you moved on to looking to get your education and career and establish this as a profession, you know, those kinds of labels I'm sure had a big impact on how you presented yourself in your studio. Like talk to me a little bit about your experience choosing like what to say. I think for me, it really more started off that I just didn't present it anything different than anything else. Because when I started my dancing, I just, I was a dancer just like anyone else. And that is the way I presented my dance company too, is that Spitzer Dance Company was just another dance company in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I wasn't out to go make a different group, disabled group or able-bodied group or it just whoever I was able to find to work with me. And I was just working with students that I'd worked with already, some in college, some from my high school, and just trying to create a group and just create something to work on and, and build stuff. and. There's one thing too, is I knew if I putting Spitzer Dance Company out there, if I say I'm different, the media, the audience, people are gonna say, oh, that's, you're different. Cause if you say you're different, people are gonna see you as different. And I, and that's unfortunately the way our world is. And, but there are, and I will say there are times that you need to say you are different and that there is good times to do that. But then there's other times where I just want the audience coming in and saying, oh, I'm gonna go see a dance company. I've never seen this group before. Oh, wow, there's someone in a wheelchair. Okay, interesting. And let them make their own decisions whether they see that as different or how it's incorporated into the company. You know, that's just the way I've always seen it. Yeah. And then as the years went on and I got to know about other dance companies with disabled, I've Part of mixed ability, like you mentioned, or physically integrated, which I think is more the term used today than anyone than anyone 
any other term from what I understand, you know, and some of those companies want to, I think it's generational in a way because I think some of the older companies do not want to say we're different. Some of it, they do, you know, but I mean, some of the younger ones are saying it now. And I read that in an article by uh, another director of a company up in Cleveland. And she mentioned how that a lot of disabled younger are wanting to use disability or use, I'm a disabled dancer, or I'm mixed ability or physically integrated. But I, I think that goes to a lot of our identity stuff today of politics and everything else going on too, and wanting to claim that too. And there's times for that. So I, I agree with that for some point, but it's also helped me understand some of their differences better now seeing that article. Because I was like, okay, now I understand where they're coming from, which helps me understand that better. Yeah, I think our words are so powerful and important in setting the stage for conversation. And mm -hmm. I really love how you pointed out that when we use labels, it, it can be really helpful because it invites people into a particular conversation, but also it can, if you don't have opportunity to engage without a label, then people can jump to judgments and miss out on something great, right? Like right, somebody- they might say, oh, that's a disabled company. I don't want to see that. I want to go see a, a ballet company or a modern dance company. Right, and so- a modern dance company, they don't know what they're, you know, unless they look up your material, they're not going to know what they're coming into. Right, and, and so just choosing, them. yeah, choosing how how to set really set that stage and present like right. the, how you're connecting with your audience, kind of back to the very beginning of that dance is an expression of the soul and a connection with other people, right? And one thing I've always believed, and I've had other people come back and tell me when I've made the comments or presented that you know if you say you are different, people will see you as different. That has really caught people's attention too. Hmm. What's the uh, greatest hope, perhaps, that you have for future profession of dance and other creative professions? I know we've uh, sort of mm -hmm. touched on the issue of this generational change that we see right. happening in a lot. I mean, uh, the world is always changing all the time. So, uh, of course, that's a big part of it. But what are some of the, the hopes that you have for the future or things that you wish 20-year-old Alex maybe knew or would have embraced? <laughs> Yes. I don't um I hope for the future of our world has changed in the last three to four years because of COVID and other different things throughout our world and country. And so there's a lot more opportunities now to think outside the box than what it was before. Because like before you'd say, if we have a meeting somewhere, oh the meeting has to be at that building. Wait, now we can have it virtually. And that's where I hope within the performing arts, we don't lose the live performance because we don't want to lose that because that's very, that's the core of it. And that's where you really see the live performers. Because there's a big difference when you see the live performance in person compared to virtually or in video. And I would love to see, but I would still love to see the world be more open to more virtual stuff too of the live performances, you know, showing stuff and 
being able to present different things, you know, in live, but also virtually too. I've been a part of a 3D virtual world called Second Life for years, for over 10 or 11 years now. I've performed in a ballet company, it was all virtual. You perform, you move the avatar around and you're moving at the movement and doing that. I've also played in tribute bands in, in Second Life for over 11 years. And you're basically, it's some way virtually dancing for me because I'm moving the movement, the movement of the avatar to the music. Like playing guitar, you're playing fast, you play fast, but the music's slow, you play slower and different style. And so you just, there's so much possible in the future for virtual. Mm -hmm. I love that you brought up Second Life. I that is a blast from my college past. Uh, we we did a bunch of analysis of it, well, like when it sort of was first becoming a thing, yeah. and it's so lovely to to hear like the beautiful creativity happening in those spaces, right? These digital virtual worlds that really are, good. you know, we have um, so many more universes available to us, I think, than we sometimes remember. And that's an example of a really, a really fun one. Um, no. But before I go down memory lane too far, <laughs> I did want to play a game with you to wrap up our conversation. <laughs> so this is called the Ungame. And okay. in the spirit of connection, Connection, not competition. There's no rules. <laughs> so we literally just shuffle a card deck and draw a question and see if we can learn something fun and new about each other. So okay. here we go. All right. Let's see if we like this question. Complete the sentence. I am the kind of person who dot dot dot. I'm the kind of person who I'm actually kind of quiet and shy in a lot of ways, even though I am a professional dancer and put myself out there on stage and perform. I'm more the quiet type of than talking. I think that's one reason maybe I'm a dancer too. Because mm -hmm. I like performing, but I don't I do better with expressing my feelings or expression with my body. Love that. I love that. I think I'm the kind of person who, if I really love something, I will rewatch it like a thousand times mm -hmm. <laughs> and over and over or put like one song on. I actually, I was thinking about as we were prepping for this episode, um, there was a song that sort of caught my soul and I have been listening to it on repeat just the one song for like a couple of hours, I think okay. <laughs> in the past like 24. And I don't, I, I hope that's healthy. I feel like that's something that's good so. that you have this, have like a moment of connection, right? Like that. So I'm the kind of person that uh, I echo that. I, I enjoy performance as well. Um, but in the, that headspace of watching or listening or reading to something over and over there's there's so many layers that I that I enjoy finding it so right. I'm that annoying person when my husband gets in the car to turn on the music that it's like oh, the same song it's like really Jessica <laughs> oh but and thank you so much, Alex, for sharing your story with us today and for, you know, being um, a remarkable human being in the world. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you so much for having me too. My pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, let me ask you real quick, how yes. should people connect with you? Where would you like them to find you in these beautiful online spaces? I guess probably Facebook is the easiest way. I, I mean, it is set to private, but you can get messages through me, to me there if I you know when I check my offline or, you know, messages that can come through. Yeah. There's also a website, spitzerarts.com that has some information on me, just a bio and some basic information on me too. That's that way. And then there are not many videos, but there's a, a few videos on YouTube of my dancing too. So people can see my dancing too. Cause it, it's hard when you just see, you don't see pictures or video of it to understand it sometimes. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I really appreciated about how in podcasts, you can link off to all these other media as well, because there's the audio story and being with right. people in their headspace. And then there's being able to engage with all these other wonderful things happening outside that audio space. So yes. thank you for sharing. We'll look forward to checking it out. <laughs> thank you. That's another party in the bag for how I create me. We're incredibly grateful that you've welcomed our content into your headspace. We take it very seriously that we should bring light and goodness to your soul. So don't be shy about sharing your thoughts. How'd we do? Do you want to hear more? What should we talk about next? To stay connected and get amongst the details, visit howicreate.me. Are there other people in your world that should join the party? Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. Like, share, follow, and all the social media things. That'll help too. Explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. This podcast would not be possible without the generous efficiency of our executive producer and production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. May you go forth and thrive.